This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. We're doing the Book of Ruth still. Uh, We're on the last chapter this week, um, chapter four. And it's all about um, God's loving kindness working through the most unexpected people. Um, Today, we're going to finish off that series. We're going to be in chapter four together. Um, And so far in this story, uh, we've seen how Naomi started off in life really secure, happy. She's got a lot. Um, And then her life takes some unexpected twists and turns. Um, To begin with, she was married to a man, Elimelech, and together they had two sons. Uh, And they lived in Bethlehem, but then there was a famine in their hometown, so they had to leave, and they they went to a place called Moab in search for for food. But when they were there, tragically, Naomi's Naomi's husband, Elimelech, uh, dies, and he leaves Naomi as a widow. And she's in a foreign land and doesn't know where she is, but at least she's obviously still got her two sons. Um... And they both get married to Moabite women as they were still living in Moab. But then both her sons tragically die. Tragedy strikes this woman's family again and she's left without her sons and without her husband. And along with the pain of losing them all, she also loses all the security and the provision and the safety that that women in those days could only expect to have for having male relatives that were alive. Um, And not only did this affect Naomi, but also her son's wives. They were married to Orpah, nearly said Oprah, because Catherine, you put me off last week. (laughs) Orpah and Ruth. (laughs) And they joined Naomi in becoming widows before they've even had a chance to start their families, their self. And so Naomi, in her pain and in her grief, she decides um, that... The famine's ended in Bethlehem, so she decides she's going to go back. She's going to go back to her people, back to her land. And she tells her daughters-in-law to stay in their land, to stay with their people. She says, I kind of more sons that you're going to wait to grow up and then marry them again. I've got nothing to offer you. Stay here, stay with your own. But um, it tells us that her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she clung to Naomi. And just that little sentence just gives us um, a glimpse into how this story ends up playing out. These two widowed women who had a life and hopes and plans have now ended up with nothing. Um, But they have got loyalty. It tells us that Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, your God will become my God and your people will become my people. Where you go, I'm going to go. And it just showed me that even when you're potless and penniless and you've got nothing else in life, you can offer people loyalty and you can offer people love. And that's what Naomi finds in Ruth. And often that's how God works. He he works through the love of people that he's placed in our lives to show us his love. And so the tragic death of every male in their family has seen these two vulnerable women um, heading back to Bethlehem. And Naomi has renamed herself at this point. And it's not like one of those like, reinventions where you've got a really boring name to begin with and then you go for something really, uh, you know, a bit different. It's not like, my name is Michael, but call me Stormzy. Stormzy's real name, by the way, if you didn't know. 
<laughs> but she's actually, she's, she's gone for a new name. It's not as snazzy as that. She's gone for Bitter. She's saying to her friends, call me Bitter. And she's going around telling everyone in her hometown how the Lord has dealt her a bitter blow in her life. And to be honest, it looks like she's not wrong. Um, on the surface, you can see why she'd say that. She'd lost everything. She, her son, uh, you know, both her sons, her husband. She's thinking, why me? What have I done to deserve all of this? She tells her friends back at home that God sent her away full, but she's come back empty. And Naomi left Bethlehem in physical hunger, but she was full of her family, and she's come back emotionally emptied without her husband and without her boys but she's got a loyal daughter-in-law. And although Naomi can't see where God is in all this pain and all these messed up circumstances, if there's one thing that the Book of Ruth teaches us is that God is always at work, always. Like we even heard in our worship, we don't always see it, but he is. And we don't always feel it because sometimes life can be so hard and we can be like Naomi, we can struggle to see where God is in all of it, can feel like he's gone silent. But if there's one thing God's been showing me in my own life, and which he shows us in this book of Ruth, is that when ev- even when everything seems to be spinning out of control, he is still actively and purposefully and lovingly working for the good of those who love him. And we know that because it says it in Romans, the book of Romans chapter 8, it says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him for those who have been called according to his good purpose. And that's just one of my favourite verses in the Bible. Cling to it a lot. And when me and my mum and my brothers and sister, when we uh, moved to Sidcup, um, it wasn't out of choice. It was because we, we were homeless at the time and there was temporary accommodation here. Uh, we had to leave the area that we'd lived in before. Um, and this is just where the council ended up putting us, really. Um, I, I was 11 at the time, um, and I just could not have imagined, fast forward 20, sorry, <laughs> should have wrote this down, 22 years. Um, and I couldn't have imagined that I'd be stood here, you know, having been saved and added into the family of God and like given um, this hope and this future. But that's just what God does. He often works through his people, through his church to show his loving kindness and he works for our difficult circumstances, even through our suffering to fulfil his purposes for his people. And it continues to tell us that in the same book of Romans, it says suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. And hope is powerful and it says that better days are possible. And before I knew Jesus, as I said to you earlier, I didn't have any hope for the future. The things I'd gone through did not produce hope at the time, not till I gave my life to following Jesus. My suffering produced fear. (laughs) My mistakes produced shame. Um, I was depressed and hope was not in my heart. And quite honestly, my biggest hope would have been just to keep my head above water, just about, maybe just my nose, just coming out the top of the water. (laughs) And it would have just been to survive, to take the drugs, take the medicine, you know, just block it out, dress it up and hope I didn't mess up my kids or my relationship with Frank along the way. And, you know, I still have people close to me who, who are like that, you know, that, that still don't have that hope. And maybe you do too. But these words in this book, in, in this book, in the Bible, they bring real, true, lasting hope. And that's my experience. And many other people in this room, I know that's yours too. And 
That's where we ended chapter three last week. We saw a glimmer of hope. As we followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, she went back to Bethlehem um, and she chose that path of loving kindness that led her to being part of the family of God. And these two women, they both obviously needed food to survive, so they've left Moab, they're going back to Bethlehem, and Ruth goes out to glean in a field, um, which I didn't really understand fully what that meant, even though we've been doing it for three weeks already, but I looked it up, and it means you gather grain in a field. So once the farmers have been out and they've harvested, then the poor, they didn't have benefits back then, there was no job centre, so instead you had the leftovers in the field that were left for the poor and, and the people who didn't have, would have otherwise starved, way to get some food on the table. So um, Ruth's mother-in-law has suggested to Ruth that she goes and she gleans in Boaz's field. This man is, is a relative of, um, of Naomi's, of Ruth's mother-in-law. And um, he is a man of integrity and kindness, as we heard last week and on other weeks. And we see this in this book. And I think he, he saw those characteristics in Ruth and he was drawn to her. And it, it tells us that... Um, that he heard how she'd left her homeland and her people and how she'd gone faithfully with her mother-in-law, even though you know, her husband had died. And Boaz says to Ruth, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And Boaz, like so far, he's protected Ruth out in, out in the fields because gleaning was a bit of a dangerous job, especially for a single woman. And he's told the men not to touch her, not to go near her. He's looked out for her. Basically, he's a really good man. And he's also a kinsman redeemer, which is basically a male relative um, that has the responsibility to help another relative who's like, in danger or in need. Um, and last week we saw how Ruth takes a massive risk and she proposes marriage to, to Boaz, to the kinsman redeemer. And um, instead of just saying yes, Boaz decides he's going to do things properly. So he um, basically, it looks like a bit of a spanner has been thrown into the works because Boaz lets Ruth know that there's another kinsman redeemer and he has the right ahead of Boaz to redeem Ruth and, Naomi, and help Naomi out. So last week was ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. And I have written here that I could almost hear the EastEnders theme tune, but I just don't know if I feel confident enough to start it. All right, that's enough. <laughs> but that's how it ended, oh, with Boaz. can't believe I've done that. <laughs> ended with Boaz on a, on a mission. Um, will Ruth get her kinsman redeemer or not? So we're going to read from um, Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10 together. Find out how this pans out. Now Boaz, who has gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you won't, let me know so I can do it. 
because there's no one beside you to redeem it and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, well, I can't redeem it, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself because I can't do it anymore. Now, this was a custom, I thought this was quite funny, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one person drew off their sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilion and Marlon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So, Boaz has basically called this formal meeting involving the nearest male relative. He's got the 10 elders, he's got the witnesses, and they're all at the gate, and that's where, in those days, legal matters got settled. Um, And at first, the kinsman redeemer says, yep, I claim that redemption right, but once Boaz lets him know, well, part of that is that you marry Ruth, the Moabite, um, he sort of goes on the turn a little bit and he just says, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to endanger my own estate. Um, And he gives over his redemption right to Boaz using a sandal, which, by the way, when I read this to Frank, um, I I was like, yeah, they have to give a sandal away. And he was like, what? He said, well, what if it... And I thought he was just going to find it weird like me, but instead he was like, well, what if it was a really nice pair of of, of shoes? And I was like, "Um, are you telling me? I got a bit worried. I was like, you'd definitely do that for me, wouldn't you? Like, if it it was us. And do you know what he said to me? He said, it depends what pair I was wearing. (laughs) What a liberty. (laughs) Well, Baraz was willing. (laughs) And we see that he then redeems Elimelech's land and legacy. Um, basically he's been given the right and he's got the go ahead he's missing a shoe but that's fine Ruth's Ruth's worth it (laughs) so um, yeah Boaz has made it his mission basically to help Naomi and Ruth Um, he called this meeting he invited the witnesses and at this point he's still not guaranteed like a a definite certain outcome really he doesn't know if he's going to get to marry Ruth at the end of all of this but he does the right thing for the right reason and God ends up blessing him And at this point, Boaz already cares deeply for Ruth, as we saw last week. And I reckon it must have been a really hard thing to say to the other redeemer, you have the right first, then I come after you. But he does, and he's honest, and he shows that he's a man of integrity, as well as kindness, and he he does things properly. And it also shows us the purity of his motives. Although he cared for Ruth himself, first and foremost, his concern is like the redemption, the safety, the security and the rights of Ruth and Naomi, not his own interests. And Boaz is still a man. He's not perfect, but in this chapter we can see how he points forward to the perfect man, to the true kinsman redeemer, to Jesus. It tells us in the book of Philippians, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
and Boaz was looking out for the interests of Ruth and Naomi, his motivation was genuine concern and genuine love for them. And God's motivation to rescue us was the same. As we read it in famous verse John 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's what motivated God to redeem us. It was his great love. And that's then where we get the motivation to selflessly love other people too. We also see from these verses we just read that there's a cost involved in redemption. Being Ruth's kinsman redeemer will be costly in some way for Boaz. Not just the shoe, but a little bit more than that. We can see in verse 6, because this male relative who was first in line says to Boaz, I cannot redeem because I might endanger my own estate. And Boaz was willing to redeem Ruth even though it was costly for him. And this other man, he, he weren't up for it. And for me, this was just one of the most beautiful ways that I feel that his actions and his character point forward to Jesus. Because God had nothing lacking when he chose to redeem us. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't lacking in any way when he chose to go to the cross for us. Our redemption cost God, his only son. And I think you might have heard that saying where it says, grace is not cheap, but it's free. And when we understand the cost of our redemption was Jesus himself, we can just see how true that is. Um, 1 Peter 1.18 puts it like this. It says, For you know you were not redeemed with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And I just love that verse. God's paid that ultimate redemption price for us. When I first became a Christian, I couldn't get my head around the fact that God would be willing to do that for me. That after all the years and all the terrible things that I had done, I couldn't, it wasn't just that I couldn't believe he would have died for me once I'd come to him and said sorry, but the fact that he died for us while we were still sinning, while we were dead in our sin, while we didn't even actually care about him or acknowledge him, that he'd done it then. I just couldn't believe that, to think he went to the cross and... I hadn't even given him a second thought. And I think that that just still astonishes me, really, to this day, when I actually stop and think about it. And I just think we should never forget what it costs God to redeem us. But also, we need to remember what it is that he actually redeemed us and saved us from. Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi from this desperate situation of being two widows. They were in a male-dominated society where women had very, very little rights. Basically, the best outcome for them would have been the gleaning, the begging, probably being exploited. And at worst, it would have meant starvation. It, it could have meant death. And Jesus came to redeem us from our desperate situation, from spiritual death. Our enslavement to sin that separated us from our relationship with our holy creator God. And without his help we'd be destined for an eternity in hell, which is really difficult to say, but it's true. It says it in the Bible. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, it reminds us, God being rich in mercy because of the great love by which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Our desperate situation, our spiritual death, our Redeemer Jesus paid for. He paid for us to have eternal life. He paid for us to be forgiven and be freed from the slavery of sin. And that's what kinsmen redeemers do. They rescue those in danger and need. And 
that's how this story of Ruth and Boaz points to a bigger story, to the biggest story in the universe, God's loving redemption of us, his people. Um, let's carry on reading chapter 4. We're only going to read 11 and 12 now. Let's see where this is. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So like the way that those witnesses there responded to Boaz's loving kindness shows that they know their history. They've named all these names from their nation. They know that their nation is rooted and grounded completely in the sovereign grace of God. And they're asking God to do it again. They're saying, please show your grace again through the offspring of Ruth and Boaz. Basically, they're calling God to bless not just Ruth and Boaz, but to bless their community and bless their nation through them. But when I read these verses, I just noticed those names that are on that list that were just mentioned. And I just felt really just, you know, when something just jumps out to you again, it just jumped out to me, those names, just how gracious God really is. And um, you might have heard that, that saying. I don't know if James come up with this or if someone else actually come up with this. But um, that it's the kind of family Jesus came from is the kind of family he came for. And he could have made sure that his family line was just squeaky clean, no skeletons in the closet and that, but he didn't. And if we look at those names that we just mentioned, firstly, Rachel and Leah, they were sisters and they were married to the same man because their dad decided he wanted free labour for 14 years from their potential husband. He tried to give the uglier one away in a nighttime ceremony, but morning came, as it always does, and what had been done in the dark was shown in the light. Yet God still chose to use them to build up his people. Or if you look at Tamer and Judah, those names, Tamer was Judah's daughter-in-law, not once, but twice, as well as being the mother to two of his children after she posed as a prostitute in order to get her father-in-law to sleep with her secretly. <laughs> I was just shocked when I first ever read this, but this is Jesus' family line. I thought mine was bad. <laughs> but you know what? It just, it just goes to show us God's total, complete grace. He came from the kinds of people that he came for. The least likely, the last to be regarded or chosen, and the lost, forgotten ones. And I just felt, when I was writing this, that God might want to challenge us a little bit. If And just think, do the kinds of people we find in Jesus' family line find a place in our church family today not just in and on the sidelines but part of the builders just as we see here in these verses or do do they find a place on our sofa with a cup of tea no Jesus welcomed them with open arms or maybe you yourself have got a bit of a dodgy family welcome to the club sorry for any of my family that might be in this room right now (laughs) wrote this before I knew you were coming But maybe, maybe you've got a bit of a dodgy family or maybe it's you yourself, your own past choices and you feel shame and so you've discounted yourself from being able to be used by God in any significant way. I've struggled with these things myself. 
wondering if I'm able to be used by God or if I'm destined for a second-rate experience as a Christian because of what my past has looked like or for the things that I've struggled with. But when I look at this, these names in his words, I am filled with faith and I'm reassured because God loves to use us because it was never, ever meant to be about how good we were in our performance. It was meant to be about Jesus and his performance on the cross. And it says that in the Bible. It says, you know, he uses weakness to strip away any pride that we have and that's really, that's really what he shows us in his words. We must trust that and we mustn't discount ourselves because he doesn't. So we haven't really got the right to do it if he doesn't. So let's uh, carry on reading these last verses um, just now. 13, uh, chapter, verse 13 to 22. It says... So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighbourhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So we see that God has blessed them. He's blessed them with this son, baby Obed, who turns out to become King David's granddad. And this just goes to show Naomi, who had previously called herself bitter and thought God was against her, that God is not against her as she believed, but that he is and that he always has been for her. And God cares about Naomi, just like he cares individually about each one of us sitting here. He knew her pain, he heard her prayers, and he showed his loving kindness in her life, even though she didn't even always believe he would at first. She doubted. But from that devastating decade we see at the beginning of the story and fast forward to 10 generations of royal bloodline. Naomi was blessed beyond her wildest imaginations and it just reminds me of where it says in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians that no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no heart of man can even imagine the good things that God has in store for those who love him. And the way this story ends not only shows Naomi God's kindness, but it's also linked with his people at that time because God's people, Israel, at that time, they didn't have a human king. It was during the time of the judges where we're told everyone just did as they saw fit in their own eyes. And this story shows us that even when the covenant family, God's people, seemed to be spinning out of control morally and spiritually, God was still pushing forward in his plans and in his purposes. God not only sorted out Naomi's predicament, but the predicament of their whole nation. Through Ruth and Boaz's son, Obed, comes King David, Israel's anointed king. 
And Naomi sat baby Obed down on her lap and it was a sign to her of God's loving kindness. And King David sat down on the throne of Israel, a sign to that nation of God's loving kindness for them. And I've got situations going on in my own family life right now and maybe you do too because this world is a bit broken and messed up. Um, and these situations, they're honestly devastating. They look completely hopeless. They look like it's all spinning out of control and it can be really difficult. Sometimes every day can be a battle. But I've got a choice to make and so do you. Will we do what Naomi did and rename ourselves bitter? <laughs> and sometimes we might feel like doing that. I know I do sometimes on a bad day. Or will we find encouragement through the words? Remember, unlike Naomi, we have the absolute privilege of being on the other side of the cross. We know the worst thing to ever happen, King Jesus being crucified, ended in victory. And the crucifixion would look like Jesus' plans were all spinning out of control to his disciples. They wouldn't have known where he was. They wouldn't have been able to see or understand at that time. But remember, his ways are higher than our ways. His faults are higher than our faults. The cross was not the end. And Jesus rose from the dead three days later, meaning the payment for our sin, it was accepted. Jesus purchased the salvation of all people from every nation, tribe and tongue who would believe in him. He defeated death itself and he's made a way for us to have this eternal loving relationship with our Father that transforms us from the inside out and it can start today into eternity and it's completely free all we've got to do is believe in him it's the same way we just read that Naomi sat baby Obed down on her lap a sign of God's loving kindness to her and how King David sat on the throne of Israel a sign of God's loving kindness to that nation and we see we have King Jesus sat down at the right hand of the father ruling and reigning he's a universal and eternal sign of God's loving kindness towards us towards his people so we know how the story ends So even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He never stops working. These are words from a song that we're going to sing in a minute. And they've helped me through a lot of confusing circumstances myself. Um, So we're going to sing together in a minute. If the band would please come back up. Um, Yeah, the loving kindness God showed Naomi um, and his people Israel, he does offer us right now in his son Jesus. We just need to look up. We need to take hold of the promises like Isaiah 61 verse 7 where it says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance and you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. And that's a promise. And if you know Jesus today, that promise is yours. But if you don't know him today, you can start that relationship with him. You can know hope like I and so many other people in this room have come to know. Hope that's stronger than any pain you might be experiencing. Speak to someone up here at the end if that's you because people would love to pray for you. I would. I just wanted to end um, before we sing with these verses from the book of Romans, chapter 15. And it says... For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Remember, we know how the story ends. Jesus is on the throne. We have a certain hope. So we're going to sing that hope to him. (laughs) 